Welcome back to Eudaimonia. This is Alin, and I'm so excited for another episode today. Um, we're going to be looking at some different perspectives, so trauma-responsive education uh, for early childhood schools. So looking at what we have been looking at, but this time through the lens of trauma happening either within the school, community itself, or even something like worldwide. Um, I feel really connected with this. Not only did I experience some trauma at my own schooling experience, but also I'm feeling it right now, especially um, with having to discuss the world news. So specifically with what's going on in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. since I'm half Ukrainian and have some distant relatives in Ukraine, some um, of those topics that are brought up in school, it's, it's becomes really difficult for me to maintain my emotional well-being, um, and that's just something I noticed. So I'm super excited to talk about it a little bit today, and I don't know if you guys have any experience um, with community-based trauma, but I would love to hear any input throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. When I first started doing my research for this topic, I started to look at the National Education Association website, and I found their statement um, basically detailing how they want their mission to trauma-informed schools, how they want that to go. So they say that supporting students who suffer from childhood trauma requires whole school involvement and transformation. And I thought that was a huge key element in what we are looking at today, because not only does this trauma affect the student, the teacher, but it affects the whole school and the community. Um, So it has to be looked at through the lens of transforming the entire community and not just the individual. Um, And it goes on to say that all school employees play a crucial role in supporting these students. So something that I've noticed is when... um, I am a teacher in a classroom, and I am needing help in certain situations. I can lean on certain class um, staff and school staff that I honestly had no idea existed when I was a student. So I don't know about you guys, but as I was going through school, I didn't know we had a social worker. I didn't know we had all these um, amazing humans in our offices just there to help us get through these times. Um, have you guys ever interacted with your school psychologists or social workers before? Not a lot, for sure. Um, I know, the, like, with being in the College of Ed, I've learned a lot about who's available at the schools and I knew existed at the time. Um, but our counselors were kind of just, like, scheduling mm-hmm. and yep. stuff like that. But there wasn't a lot of opportunities for, like, talking and getting help when we needed it, which is really frustrating because there are so many good people um, and my aunt was a school psych at one of the elementary schools. So at the elementary level, like, I knew a lot of those school psychs because they were her friends. Mm-hmm. And so I could go talk to them. But then once we got to, like, high school, I lost those connections. And I didn't really know how to find those people again, um, which was hard and interesting. And it's also, like, when something does happen, having people not all on the same response page was really, really difficult. Because mm-hmm. there was a situation in eighth grade where something happened within the school, that was really hard. And some teachers, like, were really good about it, and then some teachers jumped back into content. Mm -hmm. And it was really 
hurtful mm-hmm. um, and I think harmful to a lot of us in our grieving processes to have really different reactions to the situation. Mm-hmm. And with so many reactions, I think that the best thing you can do is just constant communication through how you're feeling and um, how those around you are feeling because those miscommunications in scenarios where like things don't work out, it can, like you said, be very hurtful. Um, and so constantly keeping that line of communication and just openness, um, being completely, what's the word I'm looking for? Transparent. Transparent. Yes. Thank you. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next, looking at something um, else that I found, school communities really need to focus on paying their professionals to um, go to professional development for trauma-responsive education. Um, That includes practice and support. There should be different pathways that the educators should be able to take. Um, I think that something that's frustrated me the most with professional development is the aspect of it either like being required with no um, self-interest, like I had no input into what the development was, or um, honestly just like feeling like nothing was coming out of it. So I think it's important not only for uh, teachers to get paid in their professional development, but also for those opportunities to be created from um, the individuals who are taking them. So people need to have their funds of knowledge and contribute to the learning that's going to occur during that time, because then that will build um, a deeper connection to the content and create a more positive environment for everybody. Um, I know that through our professional development activities through the College of Education, um, I've gotten some awesome experience with like things like resiliency and um, trauma-informed. That whole documentary that they put out was amazing. I highly recommend to anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it. So the documentary was created by the College of Education here at K-State. And it's called Becoming Trauma Responsive, and it really looks at how trauma affects learning, behavior, and relationships. I know that Julie um, got an opportunity to watch the film and is going to talk a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, so um, I watched this film, and it just, like, went through these three different schools um, and just, like, how they have, like done different things to meet the needs of their students. Um, and this documentary just really just helped um, us as educators be able to understand trauma. It was kind of the start of like wanting to do this podcast and realizing that there was so much more that we could research and like um, understand. And so this is a great way to kind of get some of those other things um, that we've already talked about through like the student lens or um, the teacher lens also in this. And it just talked about like how to create an environment for your students that was not um, too overstimulating and could just be calm for them. Um, and then just also different things about how our brain processes trauma um, and just, yeah, all of those classroom environments. So really informative and would highly recommend watching it. Yeah, it's really awesome because they actually have interviews from trauma experts and doctors in the fields of neuroscience, therapy, counseling. So this is a very well-informed documentary and honestly inspired a lot of what we're doing um, within this podcast. Looking to another source, the Mental Health Technology Transfer Center Network um, created this resource that I will attach in the description below. And they break down um, 
basically the response to a school tragedy in four different sections. First, readiness, then response, recovery, and finally resources. Um, to start out, so readiness really comes from a collection of things. There's different steps that you can take to be ready for school trauma, um, but some of the ideas shared in this article include having your youth at the center of the ideas. So seek out ideas and what they need from the direct source. Um, providing a grief-specific and trauma-specific professional development is super important. That can come from things like College of Ed and their trauma-responsive documentary. Developing a crisis response team can be um, influential. So having someone, a group of people, that way that the responsibility doesn't lie on one individual. And there can be basically like a call-down list if um, team members aren't available or just need a break. Next, having policies and protocols plans if there's um, a, like for suicide prevention. So getting resources out into your school system, um, including like self-care programs for school personnel. There's peer support programs that you can implement. Um, networking with families is super important as well. And then also engaging the media is something that this article included. And I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on um, some of the media side of this topic. So from the community lens, the media will report on stuff that's going on, right? So how do we control what our, how our students view the media? I don't know if any of you have to speak anything to speak on that. I mean, I would say something that I found very interesting. Um, when I was in high school, there was a couple threats that happened. Um, and so naturally all the students are freaking out a little bit. And so they go to school that day. Um, and I was personally expecting some more support, help, supervision at the school, um, which is not what I found. Instead, there was just a bunch of media crews, no extra support, just a bunch of media crews. Um, and so for me, that really just gave the illusion, the idea of like, okay, so we're like a spectacle, like, um, and the media is not something that's here to help. It's something mm -hmm. that's just ready to see if something fun is going to happen. And by fun, I mean extremely tragic. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it would be interesting to create or encourage or just kind of call up the media a little bit to a different standard of like trying to seek out how to help and provide support in those situations rather than to be something that creates a heightened mm -hmm. anxiety of what could occur. Yeah. Yeah. And I was even thinking like as teachers, like it's going to be important for us to address what's going on. Cause if we just like ignore it, like obviously our students are so on the internet, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's insane how the little baby ones even just like, they know what's going on especially if they like have a phone or they're on their parents' phone or whatever. And so it's going to be important that we don't just like ignore those kind of things, obviously handle it in a way that's going to be productive and safe and helps our students feel calm and connected and all those important things, but not just like ignoring what's happening and what's going on, but just being really like, I don't know, aware and able to address it in a healthy manner. Mm -hmm. This article phrases it in a way where, really were partners with the media. And I thought that was an interesting um, concept to think about 
So basically they're having you assign a media spokesperson for your school um, where then they can develop these safe message messages to send out to media and school communities um, and hopefully build that connection and relationship with the media prior to this tragedy even happening. Um, so that's what this article had to say. And I also had some more information regarding um, teachers in the news. So let's take a look at that. Looking at the Child Mind Institute and what they had to say regarding basically presenting children with frightening news, um, they had some interesting takes because they took it from a parent perspective, but I still found this article very um, informative because they had it broken down into several different steps. Um, so first they had breaking the news, um, then take your cues from your child. So really engaging in active listening and um, being responsive to what they do is super important when these frightening things happen in our lives. Modeling calm is also um, a great resource as an adult, something that you can do to help your children. Um, just presenting that outward calmness can help them regulate their own emotional um, stability and in a way like absorb any emotion, like you will absorb their energy. Um, and that's something that I found super helpful. Same with being reassuring. So if something like death happens or um, just like an event, you have to talk about it in a light that um, brings a positive twist on it. Think about how unusual the event is. Talk about the different safety precautions and measures that um, people set in place for different events. That way you're just letting them know that like, hey, this doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, people get through it. Um, helping children express their feelings. We've talked about this throughout our podcast, giving them that language um, and opportunity to share with you how they're feeling. Be developmentally appropriate. So you don't want to volunteer too much information to the young kiddos. Um, you don't want to censor the information at that same time, though. So be honest, but you don't have to be um, outwardly vulgar and explicit when talking about what's on the news. Um, and then finally, just like being available for your students to talk to you and just comfort and feel safe. Um, it's super, super important as the teacher to let that be known to your students um, that you are available and you are there for them. Circling back to the Mental Health Technology Transfer Center Network <laughs> and basically their ideas of readiness, response, recovery, and resources, looking at the response aspect, um, they had eight different core factors that were adapted from a psychological first aid um, created by Brimer in 2006. So it's very evidence-informed um, and it's an approach to help children, adolescents, adults following the immediate aftermath of a tragedy. Um, so the eight factors include content, safety, stabilization, information gathering, 
practical assistance, connection with so social supports, information on coping and collaborative services. So all of these ideas we've talked about and touched on in the past podcasts, and I really think that this is just reinstating some of the same ideas that um, we've already discussed. However, I do think it's important to um, mention how this is really guiding you to create a plan to be responsive in an active emergency. So um, a lot of these trauma response education techniques can be used both in the classroom day-to-day -day, uh, situations and when there is an, an emergency happening in the building where you have to contact 911. So widespread great techniques to implement into your teaching instruction um, and just overall great qualities for a teacher. The next section regarding recovery um, was really hard for me to read through some of the information and lingo used. However, um, there was some great information. Um, first, they talk about how teachers can sometimes feel unprepared after these events happen um, and unsupported in the classroom. But I think that the biggest part of this article to take away is the linguistic strategies that they provide um, for educators moving forward after a tragedy. Um, some of these things include like how you talk about suicide and violence, um, but one specific thing that I found in this article um, is survivor's guilt. And um, I wanted to know what you think of when you think of survivor's guilt um, in regards to how it pertains to school trauma. Yeah, I mean, I think school trauma provides a really interesting setup for a lot of different reactions for students, whether it be um, students walking away from a situation, feeling, having survivor's guilt specifically, um, like whether students were maybe um, in a situation that was really hard, um, that they, I'm just rambling, we yeah, no, can just did. like yeah. cut yeah. whatever is happening there. What is that? Um, we got time. So you could say, and then you could also talk about how it like, um, it how small grief can sometimes <laughs> prolong and interfere with like class, day-to-day -day class time. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's okay. prolonged by that. Yeah, we have time. Most okay. times are fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so survivor's guilt. I'm just going to yeah. quote this. Um, survivor's... <laughs> One more time. Survivor's, survivor's guilt is often really misunderstood um, because it's this weird tension of having people be thankful and grateful that they are still here, but then also fe feeling guilty. Um, and this is something that I had some experience with, just having some tragedies within my school where certain people who were involved just had to walk in this survivor's guilt and it takes a very long time to really fully process that and then even in the idea of grief um, within the school while people may not have been super close to a person because it was still a person in their day-to-day -day life who they maybe have gone to school with for years it's a different kind of loss 
um, and having to constantly still be in the situation that reminds you of that loss is really difficult. And like years and years later, if not given the space to grieve properly in the beginning, like those things will still continue to come back up. Mm -hmm. And be very prolonged. Exactly. Yeah, I really appreciated just all of these thoughts on how to think about just like the school community and how that can just be really a big part of the trauma. I think sometimes that it can, it can be really missed and we just really think about like individual students or um, even with like the big like school trauma things, we just kind of move on and um, it can be something that can affect and take a long time to process and heal um, and all of those things. So I think it's really important for us to go into our careers as educators, knowing these things and just being prepared with some different tools and ideas on like just how we're going to handle it. So I'm really glad that you're bringing this community aspect um, into this and just so that we can just have that readiness response and recovery um, and then just the resources that come with it. So I think it's really great. Yeah. And I really think that um, with all the information in the student lens and the educator lens and in the community lens, looking through those three perspectives, you have a well-rounded um, response to trauma. And I think that understanding that it takes time, not only for recovery, but also your own journey of um, pedagogy and instructional strategies, um, it's going to take time. And as pre-service teachers, that is you know, the most important message we could hear right now. Um, it's going to take time and it's an ongoing journey. So, so excited to continue on with it. Um, next week, we're going to be looking more into the community lens um, and continue on our journey together. So thank you so much for listening to Eudaimonia and have a wonderful day. Bye. 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 Bye.